This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the gospel according to Mark, chapter number four, gospel of Mark. Chapter number four, and we're going to begin reading this morning in verse number one. Um, Mark, as, uh, as we have studied through these first three chapters, has given us a great detail of, of the activity, although I wouldn't say great detail of each individual activity. He's given us a, a detail of the numerous activities that the Lord Jesus has been involved in and engaged in, in teaching and in healing those who are sick, in delivering those who were oppressed and possessed by demonic spirits. And in these miracles and in this teaching, <clears throat> uh, of course, many are coming to faith in Him. Uh, we also find that not only are many coming to faith in Him, but there are also many who are fascinated by him. They, they like Jesus. They find him very interesting because he can heal them of their affliction or he can heal their cousin or their aunt or their grandma. And so <clears throat> there is a fascination uh, with Jesus concerning the miracles that they've heard reports of. And then there's the crowd that uh, is the critic. And we looked at those three aspects last week. The crowd, that's the crowd fascinated. And the called, that's those who are, are following Jesus. They've heard his voice. They follow him. They believe in him. And then there was the critic. And, of course, the critics, the chief among them were the Pharisees and the scribes. We come now to Mark chapter 4, and, and Mark sort of changes uh, to some degree uh, the narrative and gives us an in-depth look at the teaching of Jesus. And so we're now able to hear some of his teaching. We've, uh, as we've read Mark's word, we've found Jesus' teaching and, and we've given a little statement about his teaching, but now we have some in-depth views concerning his teaching. And I want us to look at that in Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. I want you to get the picture. The crowd is still great. The crowd is still following Jesus. And uh, they have come to him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee along the shoreline, the shoreline slopes upward. And so the Lord Jesus, withdrawing himself from the crowd, gets into a boat and he moves out onto the water. And as he moves out onto the water, all before him on all sides are the people. And they're seated or they're standing along the shore. And so here is a natural amphitheater type effect that is taking place. And 
And the Bible says he is in the boat, and he, he teaches them uh, many things. The Bible tells us in verse 2, he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, hearken. Uh, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit uh, that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundredfold. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they had heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together in your presence as your people, knowing that you are in our midst, and knowing that we have before us the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. And I pray that the seed of the Word of God would fall on good ground and produce fruit in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see the scene, the Lord Jesus is teaching the people, the great crowds are still following him, and as I've already mentioned, some have faith, some are simply fascinated, and others are there to criticize. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus gives this parable, this parable of the sower, it's one that uh, all of us most likely understand, it's, it's the story of the farmer who goes out and uh, he sows the seed in the soil, and uh, he waits expectantly for the crop. And then the crop comes forward, and he harvests the crop. 
Uh, we know uh, most of us that story, although I'm concerned we probably have a generation that's probably never worked out in the garden. But many uh, understand how these things work. And of course the people who were seated along the shore, or standing along the shore, uh, they were a part of a, uh, an agricultural community. They farmed and they fished. Uh, they lived a simple life. Sounds good, doesn't it? And uh, so they understood, of course, what the Lord Jesus is speaking about here. And uh, so he, he gives this story, uh, a parable. Now let me tell you what a parable is. It's important for us to know. A parable, it literally means to cast alongside. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to them in parables. He's giving them earthly stories which compare or make comparison or uh, uh, make an allegory type uh, uh, example uh, to communicate an eternal truth that he wants them to hear. And so he's trying to help them understand, of course, and speaking to them. And the Bible tells us, I want you to note, if you would please, in verse number 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. Now the question, as it's recorded for us in the other gospel records, is not necessarily, what does the parable mean, but why are you speaking to them in parables? In other words, why not just be clear? Uh, why give them a story, an illustration? Because as we read the narrative here, we find out that those who were in the crowd, they did not get the explanation, did they? Only those who were with Jesus, only those who had faith in Him and who were willing to follow Him, they got the explanation. The crowd did not get the explanation. And remember, at the height of His popularity in Mark chapter 3, what did He do? He withdrew himself. And so that's a bad thing for the pundits. I mean, they're thinking, wait a minute, if you're the king, well, why withdraw yourself at such a time? And now they're coming to him and saying, why are you preaching and teaching in this form of parables? Why, why mask this stuff? Why, why not just be plain about it? And so he gives them the answer. And I think it reveals to us a twofold purpose for the parables. Notice what he says unto them in verse 11. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now the word mystery here is not what we would typically think of. What we would think of when we think about a mystery is something that we could not solve. It is some mysterious thing that has no explanation. But the truth of the matter is, the mystery can be made plain, and we can understand the mystery of God or the mystery of the gospel and God's purpose of salvation, how that he could redeem lost sinners and bring them to everlasting life. And so what the Lord Jesus is saying is that I am revealing to you my word based on the fact that they received his word and that they put their faith and trust in his word and that they were willing to follow his word. And because of that, because they received his word, he was revealing his word to them. That's the purpose of the parable. And so if you have ears to hear, 
And as he said when he began to tell the story, hearken, listen. And those who have spiritual ears will hear. Then I want you to notice the second purpose. Not only is it to reveal, but notice the second purpose. He said, but unto them, in verse 11, that are without. That word without means they're not part of the believers. They're in the crowd. And remember, many in the crowd were without. They were not in the circle of those who put their faith and trust in Christ. He said uh, in verse 11, Unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now notice this, please. That seeing, they may see and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand. Lest any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Do you know what the Lord is saying? He's saying because they have heard, because they have seen, and notice what they saw. They saw him uh, heal the paralytic man. They saw the leper who was made clean. They saw a multitude of people who were delivered from diseases and who were delivered from uh, demon spirits. They saw all of this with their eyes. And they heard him teach with authority, and they said, never a man spake like this man. You see, they saw him, and they heard him, but they would not believe on him. So he said, I've made it plain to them. I've made it clear to them, but they have rejected me. He said to the Pharisees, ye will not come unto me. In other words, you choose willfully, knowing who I am, seeing who I am, hearing what I teach, you choose willfully not to believe, and therefore, because you have rejected me, you will continue to misunderstand and uh, uh, not hear correctly and not see and not understand. You see, because you've walked in darkness, you will continue to walk in darkness. And so the Lord gives us a principle in this parable. And here's the principle. If we walk in the light, God will give us more light. To whom much is given, much will be required. God has given us truth, and God has given us light. And if we're willing in our hearts to receive the truth, and, we were, and we're willing to receive the light, then God will give us more truth, and God will give us more light. But, if in the hardness of our heart, we do not receive the truth, and we choose to walk in darkness, what we will continue to walk in is more and more darkness. If we follow the deception of Satan, we'll continue down the path of deception until ultimately we've come to the place of destruction. So there's a twofold purpose for the parables. Number one, it is to reveal the truth to those who will receive it, and it is to conceal the truth from those who will reject it. So I want us to look at this parable and I want you to note with me three things very simply. The seed, the sower, and the soil. I want you to notice first of all the seed. Notice in verse number 14 when the Lord Jesus gives explanation concerning this parable. He said, the sower soweth the Word. I want to tell you what the seed is. It's the Word of God. 
That is the message that Jesus is portraying and getting across to these people. And in this place, he is the sower. But I want you to know what he is sowing is the seed of the word of God. Now, I want you to notice some things about that seed. First of all, uh, write this down in your notes or turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1, as we think about the seed. And by the way, isn't a seed a miraculous thing? It's, an, it's a miraculous thing. You take a few seeds that you buy at the co-op or at wherever you buy them, and uh, in a package sometimes, often about that big, and you can take those seeds and you can uh, plant them in the ground, and before long you'll have an entire field full of crops. One seed, I remember my grandmother would can things and freeze things, and I mean, she had cans and cans of tomatoes and cans and cans of green beans, and just a few seeds produced that, just a few. A seed is a wonderful thing. Now, I want you to know some things about these seeds. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible says that we are born again, 1 Peter 1 and verse 23. We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Can I tell you something? The seed of the word of God is pure seed. It is incorruptible seed. I want to tell you that the Bible that you have before you, you can be assured that this is the Word of God. The Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. Listen, if God was able to speak this world into existence and God sent His Son to die for you and me, then, friend, it's no problem for God to give us a perfect copy of his word he doesn't want to keep us in darkness he's going to sow the seed and that seed is a pure seed and it's going to produce a pure crop something else about that seed it is powerful hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12 the bible tells us uh, that the word of god is quick now that word quick doesn't mean uh, that it's necessarily fast, what it means is, is that it is life-giving. The Word of God produces life. For the Word of God is quick, and I like the next word, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is life-giving. It's life-giving. It produces life. Now, I want to tell you, there is a, a, a sort of a, an enigma about how it happens because the, the picture here is of a sword, and a sword doesn't produce life. A sword brings death. And I want to tell you, when the Word of God is sown into our hearts, when we are confronted with the truth of the Word of God, it is uncomfortable, it is penetrating, it is painful for us. But I want you to know when that word is sown in the heart of a believer, it produces life in that believer. There's a man named Danny Velasco who was a, uh, he was a makeup artist in New York City. 
He made $3,000 a day uh, making up models for photo shoots and commercials. Danny Velasco was a drug addict. And the more work he did and the more money he made, the more drugs he took. Until eventually, they began to wonder, where's Danny Velasco? He's the best in the city. The fashion capital of the world. We can't find him. And the reason they couldn't find him because he was, he was addicted to drugs. And when he ran out of money, he'd go back to work. And he'd work just long enough, just long enough to make a little more money to go buy some drugs. The highest paid uh, makeup artist in the industry. Well, there was a, a lady who was a model she attended the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And she, she knew Danny Velasco. And she needed to prepare for a job. And so she called and got a hold of Danny Velasco and got him over to the house. And he was a mess. And she began to witness to Danny Velasco about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. She said, Danny... If you'll just call on the name of the Lord, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. She just sowed the seed. Just sowed the seed. One day Danny went to work and he was, he, he was so affected by the drugs, he nearly had an overdose. And, and, and all of the people in that industry said, we cannot have Danny Velasco work for us anymore. It's too much of a liability. And so they blackballed Danny Velasco. Danny Velasco began to prostitute himself to other men in New York City just to make enough money to buy some drugs. From time to time, he would run into this lady. She would call him. She would check on him. But eventually, she lost touch with him, and he lost touch with her. In fact, he lost touch with everybody. He lost everything he had. You see, sin and death had its grip on Danny Velasco. Danny Velasco tells the story of how in the midst of all of the drugs and the difficulties, he, he came to a point in his life where he knew he was going to die. He was homeless, living on the streets. And he remembered there was a hospital not far from where he was, and he made his way to the hospital with barely enough strength to get to the door, he collapsed. They found him. They brought him in. They gave him a bed. They began to treat him. Danny Velasco, in that hospital room, said he heard demonic voices screaming in his ears. Danny Velasco said, I thought my life was over. Satan was telling me, it's over. I could hear demons screaming in my ears. And then as all those demons screamed and howled in the ears of one they were about to drag to hell, he heard the voice of that woman who said, Danny, if you'll just call on the name of the Lord, he'll save you. You know what Danny did? You know what Danny did? He called from that hospital bed on the name of the Lord. 
He said, when I called on the name of Jesus, I didn't hear any more demons screaming in my ears. He said, I called on the name of Jesus, and Jesus saved me from my sin. You know what Danny Velasco did when he got saved? He got out of the hospital. He went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He looked rough. They said to the pastor, Pastor, this man wants to see you. It was obvious that this man had been out in sin. He looked more like a woman than he did a man. In fact, they didn't even know he was a man. Let me tell you what God did for Danny Velasco. He saved him. He changed his life. He freed him from those drugs. He freed him from that homosexual sin and lifestyle. Danny Velasco met and married a woman. He was diagnosed with AIDS. She knew that when she married him. They lived together for a number of years. Danny Velasco got on the streets went to the people that he used to know, and he told them about Jesus. A few years ago, Danny Velasco went to heaven. You see, the seed got in the heart at the right time, didn't it? And it gave life to a man who was dead. It's a pure seed. It's a powerful seed. Oh, it's a productive seed. The Bible says it brought forth fruit, some 30-fold, 60, and 100. I want to tell you, friend, that's a pretty good crop. Any investment banker, any Wall Street man would like to have that kind of return on an investment. I want to tell you, some of you are holding on to your money and holding on to everything you can when you ought to give it to Jesus. You ought to give it to Jesus. I'm going to tell you what he'll do with it. He'll bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You can lay up treasures in heaven where thieves can't break through and steal and where moth can't corrupt and where there is no rust. You ought to just lay it on up with Jesus. You see, he sowed the seed of the word and the word it's pure, it's powerful, and it is productive. Let me see something else here. Not only the seed, but we see the sower. The sower. I want you to look with me in verse number three. Hearken, he said, behold, there went out a sower to sow. I'm glad the sower went out, aren't you? I'm glad the sower didn't sit comfortably in the confines of heaven upon his throne. I'm glad that he went out to sow. Had he not gone out to sow, I would never know him. Had that woman not spoken to that drug addict man who no doubt was disgusting in his appearance and abhorrent in his behavior and his smell, had that Christian woman not reached out to that man because she wanted to see his soul saved, had she not given him that word, had she not sown it into his heart, I want to tell you that man would be in hell today. But there went out a sower to sow. There went out a sower. Now I want to tell you, friend, the sower has a commission. Can I tell you God has given us a commission? If you came to Sunday school this morning, you most likely heard a lesson on 
uh, giving the gospel and sharing your faith. Can I tell you that's what we're here for? I'm telling you, we're not a social club. This is not a place for you to connect with people. Now, look, that happens, and it needs to happen more. But if that happened and we didn't get the gospel out, then we have failed in our mission. This is not a place for you, everybody just to come and be comfortable and be happy and, and, and be pampered. This is a factory. This is a farm. This is the storage house. This is the storehouse where the grain is. Let's grab a hold of the seed and let's get out into the field. That's what we've been commissioned to do. And if we're not willing to do that, who are we to ever expect that God is going to bless this church? Friend, he'll find a church that'll do it. You see, there is a commission that he has placed upon us. There is a call that he has placed upon our lives. And so the sower goes because he's been committed. There went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned about whether or not we've lost our passion to give the gospel. I'm just a little bit concerned about how the track rack stays full and doesn't ever have to be stocked. I'm just a little bit concerned about that. Are you concerned about it? Did we forget what we're here to do? I asked a young man in my Sunday school class today. I said, tell me where you work. He said, I work at a furniture factory. I said, what's the purpose of the furniture factory? Well, it's to make great furniture. And that's true. But that's not the bottom line, is it? The bottom line is to make money. That's why you go into business. And friend, we're in business as God's people not to make money, but to sow the seed and harvest a crop for our heavenly father. He is the husbandman. We are the steward. And we have a work to be done. And may God help us in all of our activity and all of our social functions. We have forgotten what the work truly is. In our busyness. In our hectic paces. You see he has a commission. But he has confidence. Notice what the Bible says. This sower went out to sow. And he says in, in verse number 8, And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit. <laughs> I'm glad to know that I can be confident that if I sow the seed, it will bring forth fruit. Do you know that it's not my job to produce it. It's just simply my job to sow it. I am to be the sower. God gives the increase. It is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a man to bring forth fruit into their life. But it's my job to sow the seed. And if I don't get the seed out of the barn, then there won't be any fruit. But if I get the seed out of the barn, I can be confident that there will be fruit. Psalm 126 and verse 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I can be confident 
in the power of the seed as I sow it that it's going to produce fruit. So we see the seed, we see the sower. I want you to see lastly the soil. The soil. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. These are they by the wayside. Now, in those fields, there would be pathways, narrow pathways, where people could walk. They would trample that ground down. Uh, maybe their, their carts and, and their wheelbarrows or whatever it is they might have with them. They would, uh, that ground would be walked on and trodden on, and the more it was trodden down, the harder and firmer that ground became. This is the wayside. And Jesus said of the wayside ground, he said in verse 4, he said, it fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now he gives us the explanation in verse 15. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. You know what this is speaking of? This is speaking of the hard-hearted person. This is speaking of someone who has no reception. They, they hear the message, but they don't want to hear it. And, and they just tune you out. And they do not want to hear it. And here's what you find. There is wayside ground. And you cannot be discouraged as a sower by the wayside ground. Some fell by the wayside. These are people who are hard-hearted people who reject the truth of God's word and Satan comes and takes away the seed lest it have any possibility of getting in their hearts. Some people hear the message of the gospel and it just doesn't seem to affect them. They hear of the suffering of the Savior and it doesn't seem to affect them. They hear about the penalty of their sin and death and hell, and it just doesn't seem to bother them. They have no reception. And by the way, let me just say this. We as believers need to be careful because I think churches are filled with people who've allowed that ground to get hard once again in their hearts. And they hear sermon after sermon, Bible lesson after Bible lesson, and nothing seems to move them. Nothing. That's the wayside. Then he gives us in verse uh, number 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. The stony ground. Notice in verse 5, Jesus, when he gave this parable, said, Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Now Jesus giving us the interpretation of this. He's speaking about this stony ground. Now, that Middle Eastern soil often had a very uh, hard uh, uh, line of rock, limestone underneath that soil. It wasn't always readily apparent, but it was there. It was underneath the soil. And the seed that would be dropped into that shallow soil, it, it could not take root because that, that, 
that plant, if it's going to endure, if it's going to thrive, if that plant is going to bring fruit, then what that plant has to do, before it shoots up, it's got to sink down. Those roots have got to sink down. But because of this, this stone underneath there, there's no place for those roots to sink down. It's stony ground. And, and, and so uh, there's a greenhouse effect that takes place because of the shallow depth of that soil. And so what happens is the plant having no place to go down, it goes up. And it goes up rather quickly. And if you just look at it, you think, my, my, this is looking really good. But then the sun comes out and the heat hits it. And there's no depth. There's no place to draw nutrition. There's no place to draw the waters from the ground. And because of the heat, it withers away. That's the, the stony ground. Now notice what he says here about this seed that's sown on the stony ground in verse 16. Who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That means there is an emotional response to the word. Oh, wow, I can go to heaven? Yeah, I like that. That sounds great. Can Jesus take all my sins away? Yes. Can Jesus help me get my wife back? Yes. Can Jesus help me get my job back? Yes. Can Jesus give me a good life now? How about my best life now? Can Jesus do that? Oh, yes, he can, and there's lots of people who will tell you that. So there's an emotional response. I like it. My grandma just got healed. I'm a believer. But underneath that soil, there are a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks. You see, there's no depth. There's no depth. Notice how we know it. Now, we don't know it looking at it, do we? But here's how we know it. Verse 17, they have no root in themselves and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. That means when trouble comes. When trouble comes. You're a Christian? Why, why would you want to be a Christian? You're one of those holy rollers? You, you, you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? What's wrong with you? Are you a fanatic? Do you believe that Bible, that... The, the Bible is a, it's an archaic, outdated book. It's out of step with culture. I mean, are you for real? And see, people don't want to bear that reproach. And if there are stony ground believers, they're not going to last because affliction is going to come. Trouble is going to come. And so it doesn't endure. They are as the Bible says, offended. Now notice verse 18. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Now the Bible says here, uh, when the Lord Jesus, in verse 7, gave this parable, he said, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. In other words, when you're looking at this ground it doesn't necessarily have uh, briar patches all over it, all right? There's not big thorns shooting out of the ground. Where they are is they're underneath the surface. And so the seed is sown. And as the seed begins to take root and as it begins to grow, there's something else growing along with it. 
That's the thorns. And eventually the thorns, they overtake that plant. Have you ever seen, have you ever been out in the field and saw a beautiful bush that's been overtaken by a thorn bush? That's what happens. You, you can't enjoy its beauty. It, it doesn't blossom. It doesn't bloom because the thorns have choked it. And so the Lord Jesus tells us what those thorns are. It is, as the Bible says, verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word. You see, with the wayside ground, there's no reception. With the stony ground, there's no root. And with the thorny ground, there's no root. The heart is occupied with the cares of this world. The heart is occupied uh, by the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, the cares of this world. Well, I, I, I can't tithe. How, if I tithe, I won't be able to pay my bills. I can't go to visitation tonight because I got bowling. I, I can't go, I can't go uh, to Wednesday night church because I got other problems. You see, the cares of this world. What will I wear? What will I eat? Where will I live? Where will I work? Who will I marry? How am I going to pay my bills? The cares of this world. They choke the word and make it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches are enticing. Riches are fleeting. By the way, you don't have to have riches to be deceived by them. I met plenty of people who don't have any riches who are still deceived by them because they think they can't be happy unless they have them. I remember going to Africa and seeing some of the happiest people I've ever met, also the poorest people I've ever met. The deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things. What other things? Any other thing other than Jesus and what he gives you. You know, I've found out that some people cannot be satisfied no matter what they have and what you do for them. They're just never going to be happy. You know why? Because the lusts of other things chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. But then, there's the good ground. Aren't you glad there's good ground? You see, the sower can be confident. Some's going to fall by the wayside. Some will fall on stony ground. Some will fall on thorny ground, but some will fall on good ground. Verse 20, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. You see, this is the good ground. Now, you know, I thought about this. There's no doubt the soils refer to the heart of men, right? And do you know we're speaking primarily about a lost world, are we not? But do you know I believe those soils can, can still manifest themselves in our hearts as believers. So how do you know that? Because I've been in this a long time. I mean, there are times when, when you wonder if Jesus himself spoke to us if it'd make a difference in some people's lives. And by the way, Jesus himself is speaking. You know how he's speaking? Through his word and through his Holy Spirit. But I mean, if the Apostle Paul himself were to appear before us today, I wonder, 
I wonder if it would make a difference in our lives. You see, we've grown. We can grow as believers. We can grow hard-hearted. And the seed just bounce off us like water off a duck's back. That, that doesn't affect me. That's not, that's not for me. And let me tell you what happened. Satan is up in the skies waiting to swoop down and just steal that seed right out of your heart. He's waiting. And he's doing it often, right? And then there's that stony ground. It's, 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 it's not been prepared. I, I remember when I was a boy, we moved from Michigan to Tennessee, and uh, I remember they, they, they did whatever they do to the yard. I can't think of the terms, but they, they got the yard ready, and they sowed the seed in the yard, and we had grass. And I remember my dad saying to me, I was just a little boy, four or five years old, he said, I need you to help me get all the rocks out of the yard. We had a German shepherd dog, and he liked the rocks. And so I'd pick the rocks up and throw them out, and he'd go find them and bring them back. <laughs> His name was Samson. I believe he's in heaven. If any dog made it to heaven, it was Samson. <laughs> he's a good dog. You see, my dad was concerned that grass wasn't going to grow because those rocks were there. And I'm telling you, man, he was, he was out there night after night after work getting those rocks out of that yard, just picking them up, throwing them out. Because you can't bear fruit when there's rocks. You see, you have to prepare the ground. You've got to plow it. You've got to break up the fallow ground. And then you've got to prepare it. You've got to get the rocks out. And then you've got to prune it. Because those thorns grow up. Man, those things come in, don't they? The cares of this life, don't they come in? Out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you don't know where it came from, but here's a thorn bush about this high in your life. Some of you feel like you're enveloped in them. You know what we need to do? We need to get our shears out. My dad had those old-fashioned ones. You know, he didn't have the electric kind or the gas-powered kind. He had to kind of look like big scissors with a handle. And he said, get out there and cut those, will you? I remember when I had to weed the curb. That was before anybody had a weed eater. Here I am stooped over with those crazy things. Hey, listen, it takes work, doesn't it? But it's good work to do because if we don't do it, the Word of God will make no effect in our lives. You see, the difference between the good ground and the bad ground was the good ground was plowed, it was prepared, and it was pruned. You know what happens if you don't take care of the garden? It gets overgrown. It gets overgrown with weeds, and it gets filled with varmints and creatures and animals that will steal the crop. And I want to tell you, I've pastored long enough to see some overgrown gardens and some unhappy Christians who need to get the plow and break up the fallow ground of their heart. Who need to ask God to take hold of it and break up the fallow ground. Who need to get the pruning shears and and who need to get their hands and their gloves on and get those rocks out. Who need to come to God and say, I want you to bring forth fruit in my life. Because if you're honest with yourself, There's not as much there as you'd like to see. And there may not be much at all. 
But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it can be a glorious harvest if you're just willing. Get the plow, prepare the ground, and prune the thorns. That's the first thing. And then here's the second one. I've already said it. We're workmen. We've been commissioned and we've been called to get the seed out of the barn and into the field. And we can go because we've been commissioned to do it and we can go with confidence. And one day, we're going to meet Danny Velasco. But there's other Danny Velasco's we won't meet him in heaven. We'll meet him at the great white throne. And they won't be with us in heaven. They'll be in hell for all eternity. And they might be from Hickory. And they may have worked next to us. And they may have even attended our church but we didn't bother to sow the seed because we were too busy. The sower went forth to sow. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.